Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevneva, the editor-in-chief of the journal. Today, I'm in some ways going to be revisiting Roots because I've enjoyed many visits to the University of Rochester over the years, and I have the pleasure of speaking with one of their assistant professors from the Department of Medicine, who is also the director of assessment for the medical school there. Chris Mooney, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here. This is officially my first entry into the podcasting universe. So. <laughs> Very, very fortunate to be here. Well, I'll do everything I can to make it very stressful and difficult for you. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Um, you know why we're here, but for those who are listening, you have a paper called The Predictors of Faculty Narrative Evaluation Quality in Medical School Clerkships coming out in the December 2022 issue of Medical Education. And then just before I hit record, you started to tell me a little bit about sort of your background and what led you down this path. So I rudely interrupted in the hope of getting that on tape, so to speak. So let me just go back to that and say, what led you to this point? Absolutely. I'll try to be somewhat linear and actually get to the paper we're here to talk about. But I think you know, this has been kind of a line of work that we started on or embarked on several years ago, probably over five years or so ago. It really was started by a neurologist here in Rochester, Rob Stone. And Rob is currently our neurology clerkship director. And he's kind of, I would say, maybe relative to some of our other faculty, somewhat more kind of, I don't want to say radical in that sense, but he's the one that asks hard questions. And it really began with his observation of his faculty and students that the numeric comments that are in these rating forms, right, the in-clerkship training evaluations, aren't that useful. And same with students, right, that they gravitate toward the narrative comments. And he asked, you know, why don't we just get rid of those and just focus on the narrative comments? And so that led us down to some initial work that really looked at the reliability of written comments and how that would compare in student ratings if we just focused on those versus kind of a combined numeric and narrative. And it really kind of gave him and his clerkship this ammunition because we found that they were indeed just as reliable, if not more, um, to just focus on narratives. And that's something that continues today. It's something that other clerkships in our institution are moving towards. So really just focusing on narratives. And so those who might be in similar positions to you, I'm sure you've heard this before, but the reflexive reaction will be, how could we possibly deal with narratives? The numbers are easy. You can plug them in and do a bunch of math on them. In your context, how are you using these things in a way that actually enables the ends that you're trying to achieve? Absolutely. And so what we, you know, I wish Rob were here so he could say, you know, this is the mechanics of what it looks like in our clerkship grading committees. But the, you know, those who are on those committees, they get students narratives, the bolus, the bulk of narratives. And from those, they do generate a score, right? And that score from these, you know, quote, subjective evaluations are then combined with other kind of metrics to derive some clerkship grade. So it still kind of does get a bit funneled into or have this kind of quantitative transformation. But that's aligned with the evidence that shows, in fact, that narrative comments are reliable that they can predict trainees who are struggling, that they can predict future outcomes as well. Well, and as you alluded to, all those things, plus a bit more guiding or instrumental in terms of helping people understand how to continue improving. Absolutely. Right. In terms of usefulness to the trainees, that's kind of inherent in the narratives. Assuming that they're of some high quality, 
right? right. So, and, you know, I talk with students a lot and we hear that, right? That that's often not the case, that they're vague, right? They're non-specific, and this is well-documented in the literature, but also anecdotally, right? You know, students commonly get, needs to read more, right? Or someone will just put a dot, right? A little period in the comments. And so that's not going to be helpful <laughs> to the student or in deriving a grade, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of launched us into this next phase of how can you enhance the quality of written comments, which, you know, other people are doing as well and start to lead us into this work that we're talking about today. Right. And so it's a very clear motivation and laudable goal. Before we get into what you've tried to do with this particular project, what you just said begs the question of how are you defining quality? Would students pass judgment on whether or not it's useful to them? But you're trying to make an abstract judgment of is this a quality narrative? And how did you reason through the way in which you wanted to define that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of our initial studies, we pulled in a medical student to help us think about this. We searched the literature trying to look for what are the ways in which high quality narratives or written comments, uh, what do they look like? What are their characteristics? At that time, a lot of them we thought were based off of kind of quality proxies in some ways, right? Word count, right? That's Mm -hmm. the big one. And, you know, there were other kind of aspects, right? You know, just reflecting good feedback. So do they use examples, right? Are they specific? Do you know, result in some type of action in some way? So we were starting to kind of assemble these different aspects of what would qualify high quality written comments. But again, this goes back to Rob Stone, our neurology clerkship director, who always says, I want this to be useful though, right? Like if we're going to start to assess the quality of written comments, I want this to be easy so that we can do this quickly in some ways. And so that was a huge motivator as well, that we can be somewhat kind of efficient in our process in assessing quality. And so we developed this tool, the narrative evaluation quality instrument that assesses kind of three domains of a written comment. One is performance domain. Specifically, it's the number of performance domains that are commented on. So that could be professionalism, integrity, clinical reasoning, fund of knowledge, and so on. The other specificity, so use of qualifiers, examples. And then the last one is this kind of overall kind of gestalt usefulness to training as well, which again, kind of has aspects of that use of examples, but also is there evidence that they know the training in some way? Is it clearly written, grammatically correct and so on? And those domains, they map onto other tools as well that measure narrative quality. And so There's a tool from McMaster that has some of those as well. Although those will also have kind of emotional tone or valence as well in it. There's Nancy Dudek's clinical evaluation rating form, which has some of those dimensions as well. Also assesses numeric aspects um, in that tool itself. There was a recent systematic review that actually asked that question, how do you do this? And several of those domains that they concluded speak to those that we include in this narrative evaluation quality instrument. And that's what we use in this study that's appearing in in medical education. And as the outcome, this is your effort to determine what factors associate with good quality narrative evaluation. Let's jump to that. What did you look for and what stood out to you as being particularly useful or surprising in terms of what was associated with quality? Yeah, absolutely. And so I think, so we found that there were two factors that were associated with narrative quality. 
One was time to completion, the time to the narrative evaluation completion. And the other one, which I think is really fascinating, is faculty gender. We found that those were most highly associated with narrative quality. And interestingly, some other factors were not, which I think are also kind of telling as well. But just focusing on those that are associated, kind of a funny story is that I was going to meet some of my Department of Medicine colleagues, and I had just finished this analysis. And we were kind of gathered around the table at this social function. And the one guy, he's a, he's a hospitalist. And I told him, I said, this is what I found. And his response was, yeah, well, duh. <laughs> so um, in that sense, especially around the, the faculty effect. So what we found was that women faculty on average tend to have higher quality narrative valuations than men faculty. And using this tool, it's almost two points higher. So this is a tool that goes from like a zero to 12. It's a huge difference. <laughs> and that's a finding that is consistent with some literature as well including quality of written comments. There was a study that was done, I believe, in surgical trainees. I think it was in, with the residents as well. This may support some findings, but it was really fun to kind of unpack that and speculate, why is that? Which really just kind of had me going into the literature, looking at different theories and feminist kind of oriented theories as well to kind of speculate what's driving this association. I think what else was kind of interesting was that we found that those factors that reflect clinical teaching experience, right? So how long has someone been teaching? How long do they spend with a student? How much time do they spend on some educational service? That those were not associated with narrative quality, which does kind of conflict with some of the choices that we have in creating student schedules, right? That we spend more time with an individual and they'll be able to develop rapport and relationship and that will inherently result in higher quality assessments and written comments. But that may not be the case. Of course, a lot of this is predicated on, are we measuring what we intended to measure, right? Is our measure of time that students spend with the rater or evaluator, is that truly reflective? So appreciating that you used the word speculative, all that exploring you did, what's the most satisfactory explanation you came up with? And I'm asking you to try to think through, what are you going to do about these findings. You're obviously not going to change faculty's gender, but it, presumably the mechanisms that seem most sensible given the reading you've done will guide how you're going to try to intervene. I don't know if we're there yet, right? I think it's maybe more telling is just how my perception of this has changed in just thinking about the results and sharing them with others, right? So my immediate reaction to this was, well, this is a result of gender disparities in some ways, and that women faculty are trying to overcome differential pressures in these kind of gendered contexts, right? And then one of my colleagues, Val Lang, had said, well, you know, do you really think that that's what's driving this, right? It's like, no one really kind of rewards high quality narratives. And so it's really kind of not, you know, as we say, this visible and valued work. And so I think that just digging deeper into that was important and really kind of trying to understand that these kind of pro-social expectations that there's something kind of happening beneath the surface there that may result in these differential effects. I think one of the things as well is that women faculty, they're basically above average, right? And that they're just kind of working hard at better quality written comments. 
And in fact, they would say, well, maybe it's not that we're doing better. It's just that men are underperforming, right, in some ways. And so in terms of just looking at who's doing what they should be doing, and women faculty are performing at this kind of standard, and men faculty may be underperforming. So even just the language in terms of just expectation setting, I think, would be kind of an important direction, right, for departments to do. And that expectation setting makes me think, too, about the other variable that was influential, the amount of time. I can imagine that part of the reason for shorter time yielding better quality is that the faculty member remembers the student better, so they're able to be more specific and give better advice. You could also imagine it's just the more conscientious faculty who do it quickly, and the others who aren't going to do well just slough it off until they have to do it. So can I just get you to elaborate a little bit on that expectation setting in terms of how are you trying to move faculty towards Absolutely. meeting the goals of the program? Yeah, sure. And it's interesting because, you know, relative to the gender effect, that was a smaller effect for sure, right? This time to completion. You know, if a month or so goes by, we might see on average a decrease in one point in the, in the NEQI. But this still has resonated with individuals here where we've had our leadership say that, you know, we really need to focus on having prompt evaluations. And so in one of our departments, we actually incentivize giving a bit more kind of carrots rather than sticks in terms of completing evaluations on time. You know, and we can ask faculty to complete their evaluations on time. It's hard, right? You know, mm -hmm. we just got notification yesterday, our hospital is over capacity. And so Asking them to work harder and faster is not always possible. And so we do have to look at also kind of systems in place here in terms of, you know, how can we effectively provide them more time? I think part of this gets into what we are asking them to do as well in terms of what's cognitively realistic, right? In terms of the load that we're asking them to kind of carry, in terms of just the evaluative or assessment load, we can simplify those tasks to help them complete these evaluations quicker right? Instead of giving them really kind of challenging assessments that are kind of large in scope. So I think that we have to think about how we can align our assessments that help individuals create them and uh, to complete them quicker, which may be associated with higher quality because they remember them, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, also what's important here in terms of standard setting is also being able to kind of share how a department or how a faculty cohort is doing on narrative evaluations. And that was one of the motivations also for quantifying the quality of written evaluations, right? So that we can say, on average, you know, this is how we're doing as a department, or this is how you are doing relative to your peers. And this is our expectation as a department that our quality is up here and not down there. And so I think that that's important as well. By documenting and sharing with faculty that there are disparities by gender, I think that that could be important in terms of shining a light on the culture that could be in a place. So again, help to kind of expectation set as well. So recognizing the paradox of these things probably being more valuable the more time that's put into them and the challenges you said that it creates given all the demands that we're placing on our faculty. Right. Let me try to wrap up by asking you, given all those challenges that are still to be met, fully recognizing that you have your own 
hands full with a variety of different priorities. What do you most feel like we need to know as a field in terms of taking that next step? In an ideal world, what would your next research project be to try to help untangle some of those knots that you were just describing? So I think these results that we've found, they can help to kind of inform perhaps some faculty development efforts, structural processes, things we put in place to improve quality, right? But we don't know if they're actually going to improve the quality. And so I think as a field, we need to start really being more rigorous in developing interventions, processes that we can help to better delineate what's that mechanism that's resulting in higher quality written comments. And so that's something we started to do here by doing some experimental designs that can help us kind of really just peek under the hood and say, this is what's going on, which we can say more confidently that this one thing or two things appear to be improving written comments. And so I think that's where we as a field need to be going, is having better interventions that inform faculty development efforts. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that's underway and we'll look forward to hearing how it plays out because I'm sure many listening will want to adopt whatever efforts you can advise in terms of how to help do this better, given that it's, as you said, becoming so much more broadly recognized that these narratives are important to students for any number of reasons. For now, I'll just say again that Chris mentioned a number of variables that did not predict quality in these narratives that we didn't take the time to touch on those, but I think they're very important as well. And so we'd certainly encourage you to take a look at the paper and get some more of those details that we didn't have time to cover. The title, again, is Predictors of Faculty Narrative Evaluation Quality in Medical School Clerkships. And if you're interested in those details, you'll find it in the December 2022 issue of Medical Education. Thanks again, Chris, for the work, for the insights you've generated, for taking the time to talk with us about them. And as I said, we'll look forward to seeing what comes next. It was great. Thanks, Lattles. Lots of fun.